This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, March 9, 2017. I'm Caleb Brown. The federal prohibition on marijuana is selectively enforced, and that won't change anytime soon, so it's time to give states the ultimate control of the issue and end the federal prohibition. That from Republican Congressman Thomas Garrett of Virginia. We spoke yesterday. Republicans like to talk about federalism, uh, and it, it seems that in general they do support it, but when it comes to uh, so-called vices, they don't. Well, that's one of the reasons we're here. There's two areas, I think, that the federal government's created or promulgated laws that they just choose not to enforce. One's immigration, the other's federal marijuana policy. There are a couple of things at work here. Number one, we've got unnecessarily uh, redundant government as it relates to federal versus state. Uh, number two, you've got a circumstance where, you know, if, if you have 30 pounds of marijuana in Colorado, you, you run a dispensary. If you have 30 pounds of marijuana in Virginia, you're a drug dealer. Um, and these are under federal laws, which are theoretically uniform. They've abdicated that authority. You know, President Obama could have, as a matter of temporary policy, essentially removed uh, marijuana from certain elements of enforcement. He chose not to do that. But even if he had, that wouldn't have fixed the statutory issue. Right. We, we've seen, you know, the first time I ever heard the term medicinal marijuana, I chuckled. Uh, over the years, I've learned more and more about whether it's you know people with digestive intolerances or, or chronic pain management. The one that was really moving to us uh, was children with intractable epileptic seizures who can cut those seizures 50, 100-fold with cannabinoid extracts. We have state law to allow parents to get these cannabinoids for their children. They can't do it anyway. And that's because, in Virginia, right? Right, because there's a federal prohibition and the pharmacies won't carry it. So it's sort of a a legal fiction that you may administer these drugs to your children, you're not allowed to have them. And again, where the federal government refuses to act to make their laws conform with the reality of the world and where there's redundancy in government and particularly in the prison and law enforcement structure, there's a Tenth Amendment for a reason, and, and that's what this is all about. And in fact, candidly, um, it's not a. It's we. I voted previously against decriminalization. Maybe not what you want to hear, but that was also in consideration of the fact that the federal law was in the books. When we clean this up and we remove the redundancy, and then we let those 50 laboratories of democracy work for themselves, I think we'll see what good policy looks like. What do you make of the police argument, uh, or they have made this argument in the past, that when states legalize marijuana, they are uh, contradicting or uh, going against the federal government? That would be the case if the federal government chose to uniformly enforce its own laws. I think the argument loses merit because of the federal inaction. Again, immigration policy, marijuana policy, we have laws in the books that everybody knows aren't uniformly enforced. I said, and I'm a prosecutor for 10 years, justice that isn't blind isn't justice. Uh, ultimately, it galls me to think that someone who is doing the exact same activity in one state would be subject to a federal uh, prison, uh, where it would be a blind eye turned in another state. So. The other corollary argument that law enforcement makes is there's a lot of violence tied to marijuana. And I would submit that perhaps there is, which is probably largely a function of the laws uh, against uh, possession and use, distribution, et cetera. And that's okay. If that's what your state legislature wants, the federal government has, by default, backed out of the arena. We're just trying to make reality comply or, or comport with, with the facts on the ground. You sort of laid it out here a, a little bit. but. It's appropriate to understand that you can support ending a federal prohibition on marijuana and still believe that it should be illegal in your state. Sure. Now, and again, ultimately, you know, reasonable folks can disagree. 
but it's a travesty. Again, I'll, I'll hit this. Justice that isn't blind isn't justice, and justice unequally applied is inherently unequal. That's of itself unconstitutional. I think it'd be a fun exercise in jurisprudence for someone charged federally with a marijuana offense to, to make an equal protection argument because I think they got some merit to it. Um, again, we want, we want to have laws on the books uniformly enforced and understand that while for 200 plus years we've seen a slow rollback of federalism, of enumerated powers, uh, of, of, of the Tenth Amendment right of states for self-determination in various areas, it's okay to move the other direction. For states that have legalized marijuana for some purpose, be it medicinal or recreational, there are uh, aspects of participating as a full participant in the economy that are just messed up by virtue of the fact that marijuana is included in the Federal Controlled Substances Act. Sure. And there's two huge ones. Number one, we've, we've touched on, and that's in the medical realm, the reality of what pharmacies can and can't do. And the second one is in the banking realm, where you've created a bunch of, uh, it's a, almost an all-cash business, which really paints a target on the backs of the folks uh, running these dispensaries. Um, that it's unnecessary risk. Uh, it's it's burdensome, um, and the and, and in an era when we're closing on twenty trillion dollars in debt, it, it's ridiculous to have that redundancy. And and those people still have to pay federal taxes. Sure, which I, I think is is pretty funny. Actually. I don't see us handing it back over. <laughs> All right. So you're a former prosecutor. Um, what? about your experience as a prosecutor informs your judgment that the federal government should not be prohibiting uh, marijuana. Well, and you know, I don't want to be I, I don't want to bang the drum of redundancy here, but justice is only justice when laws are uniformly applied. Federal laws by their very definition are to cover the federation the nation. Uh, we have turned a blind eye on activities in Colorado, Oregon, Washington, Washington DC, now Maine, what six or seven other states. And, and that's simply unfair. One of the cases that sort of I'm proudest of, or it's actually a pair of cases, when I was a prosecutor is we had a, a young man who was African-American who was caught with several pounds of marijuana, several thousand dollars, firearm. The same thing happened about six months later to a young man who was Caucasian, who was the scion to a very um, prominent family in the community. And I got letters from everybody on the board of supervisors to the to the sheriff's office saying, you know, cut this kid a break. And my comment to my chief deputy was, if we don't treat these two kids the exact same, we don't deserve this job. And we did. And ultimately, the sentences they received were nearly analogous. That's how this is supposed to work. And the federal government, through its inaction, has created a circumstance where that's not how this works. Um, and that's that's wrong. That is literally and, and inherently un-American. So why not uh, file a piece of legislation then to uniformly apply federal law across uh, these states? Well, I don't have a problem with it conceptually. I think it, it, it reinforces the redundancy that's part of the problem. Um, I would vote against it. Uh, and the proverbial genie is so far out of the bottle now um, that, that I don't think you'll get it back in. The second thing, we saw how prohibition worked. The second, the, the second aspect to that is... Um, that you perpetuate that same redundancy in the in the criminal justice world, where I think you've got layered uh, offenses that is inefficient and, and candidly is part of the reason we're so far in debt. Uh, that it's a step in the wrong direction from fiscal prudence. Now you mentioned prohibition. Prohibition, at least in that uh, instance, the federal government had the good manners to approve a constitutional amendment. Sure, <laughs> um, it, it, that's just fascinating to see how that worked and didn't work. 
Um, I, I don't. You, you can't wholly lay one over the other. I would offer this for your for folks' consideration. I would wager that alcohol has ruined far more lives than marijuana ever will. Um, that doesn't mean marijuana is good. I don't want my children having any part of it. But and and I, and I got a, a strong sort of moral underpinning. But I have to separate as a Christian my beliefs from my responsibility inside the government that we were given. Right. So because I believe something to be right or wrong doesn't necessarily make it how I should legislate. Jesus said, grant that unto Caesar, which is Caesar's and unto God, which is God's, acknowledging the role of a secular state. So I might have a strong opinion about something, but know uh, that it's not my job to enforce my opinion upon others. This legislation that you've uh, filed dealing with this issue has been filed before, notably by Senator Bernie Sanders. Uh, People, several folks, uh, both Democrats and Republicans, have uh, signed off on it. What appetite do you think there is in Congress to uh, actually clean up uh, this uh, statute in the way, direction that you want to. I'm, I'm optimistic. Uh, I'm also new. So the cynicism might not be as thick and layered on as it, as it would be if I'd been here longer. Uh, I, you know, here's the thing. So, and, and again, I'll go back. There's immigration policy and there's marijuana policy. We got a bunch of laws in the books. We choose not to enforce them. A pox on both our houses. And we will continue to beat the drum that, that laws must be uniformly applied. And, and the other thing is, when you have laws in the books you don't enforce, it devalues every other law in the books. Um, if parents set rules, uh, but they only enforce some of them, the children are less likely to take seriously all of them. Um, I hate to make the paternalistic overarching uh, metaphor, but it, but there's some truth to that. So we're going to keep banging the drum that, that, that justice uh, inequally applied is inherently injustice. And I think that's going to resonate with the public on both sides of the aisle. We're, again, we're optimistic. I think we, we'll get the left and we'll get the right. If we can get the middle, this thing passes. Uh- can we talk about Rach V. Gonzalez for a moment? <laughs> okay. Then uh, I'll, I'll cut that. Uh, the Supreme Court years ago said that because of interstate commerce, uh, the federal government is perfectly able to engage in this kind of uh, regulation, um, in, even when it deals with inter- intrastate uh, issues, and that's a, a following on from the Wickard decision right. years ago, and this decision was uh, Gonzalez v. Rage. Uh, how does this help deal with the problem of the feds overreaching on interstate commerce? Right. So just because the court said it didn't make it so, we had a Dred, Dred Scott court. We've had a lot of courts that said a lot of things, and over time we've realized that they weren't necessarily uh, where they needed to be. Um, ironically, if you read our bill, it does leave intact the ability of the federal government to address interstate commerce trafficking from one state where it's legal to another, should they so choose. Now, it's a misdemeanor, um, but that's the only thing that's there because that should, I think, constitutionally be within the purview of the federal government to regulate. Well, again, a secondary benefit of this uh, is reducing the sort of layered uh, redundancy in the criminal justice system. Um, Priorities can be, you know, again, Jefferson said government closest to home is most responsive, most efficient, and governs best. Priorities can be set even inside of a prosecutor's office where there's that extrajudicial authority to make decisions on prosecution and not prosecution. And, and what seems to be okay in one part of even a state may not be as well received in another. Um, but when you have this draconian overarching one size fits all policy asterisks, which we're not going to force in certain areas, 
it really devalues what the law means everywhere else. Is there an estimate of what kind of uh, monetary savings this might uh, reap? You know what? There's lies, damn lies, and statistics. It depends upon who you who you ask. Um, there, but there's some things that, that we're looking at. Specifically, there's three tiers. We talked about unequally applied justice. We've talked about the medicinal benefits that are real and letting doctors and patients make decisions for themselves. And the third is the economic benefit from, in my district, uh, Southside Virginia, adding to uh, the, the options of farmers industrial hemp, which right now is prohibited, pro- prohibited by virtue of the fact that it's a cousin to marijuana. I tell people, you can smoke hemp until the cows come home, you'll probably get a headache. Um, but where we are geographically, as I serve my district, uh, is sort of the French wine region of, of hemp cultivation. Um, and, and, and we've taken an economic option off the plate of people who have been hit again and again and again as it relates to you know textiles going overseas and furniture production going overseas. So why not give people more options? Um, and that's an ancillary upside uh, that, we, that we like to talk about. Jobs in the economy are very important. Um, and, and this opens some doors and options to people. Speaking of uh, doctors and patients making decisions uh, for themselves, how do you rate the uh, Ryan plan to replace Obamacare versus the, uh, the Rand Paul uh, and others plan? So we were fortunate enough to be, I think, the only freshman asked to participate in the two press conferences with Senator Paul, Jim Jordan, Mark Meadows. What we're trying to do is get as close to a free market as you can in the healthcare realm. Um, we've got a lot of ideas. People on the other side of the aisle said there's there's no plan. The problem was not that there was no plan. The problem was there was no consensus. Um, I think the Ryan plan and is inarguably the largest federal entitlement program ever put forward by Republican leadership. Um, you know, this is one to try to put this in perspective. There was an article that I think Oxfam put out a month ago that said the eight wealthiest people on the planet control as much wealth as the bottom 50th percentile. That means that if you take 3.5 billion people, you take their entire net worth, and you add the eight wealthiest, that you've got just over 50% of the population of the earth. If you took all the wealth from all those people, you could pay off just under 10% of the current U.S. debt. Not unfunded liabilities, but debt. And so, you know, it's so easy in Washington to kick the can down the road. We're, we are where we are for two reasons. Number one, we're descended from a political class who pledged their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor and meant it, knew, knowing that they could die for doing what they thought was right. And we've had a legacy of this. Through our history, Dr. King comes to mind, people who said, I'm going to do what's right, knowing that it might cost me my life. And we've devolved into a class of people who will back off of what stance they think is right because they're afraid of a committee assignment loss or having a bill killed. Who are we? Who have we become? Um, the, the, the second factor is we don't know how to say no. And because we, you know, people are more concerned with losing elections than they are with making good policy for the country. So as it relates to a massive new entitlement, when we're already so far in debt, uh, that, that, that all the wealth of the wealthiest eight people plus the lowest 50 percentile wouldn't pay off 10 percent. It's time to stop. And you know what? It, it, this, this opinion and the stance that we've taken as it relates to federal marijuana policy aren't terribly popular with some of the folks who are my base. If I don't get reelected, but I did everything I thought I was supposed to do to the best of my ability, it'll have been a good run. We need more people who aren't tied to the identity of being a member of Congress, but are tied to the to, to the reality that when they're gone, nobody's going to remember them, but the policy they enact will survive for perpetuity, for better or worse. 
Thomas Garrett is a freshman Republican congressman from Virginia. Subscribe to and rate this podcast at iTunes and Google Play and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 